baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome into another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and another week of the 2020 Major League Baseball season is in the books. Actually, a couple of weeks since the last episode, we got together on the show, got to talk about some baseball, and so now seemed like a great time to catch up on it as the Braves have their first off day of the 2020 season, and it only took 20 games to get there. So Atlanta's been very busy, and they have made it to the one-third marker of the season over 500, which I would say is a win considering everything else has been going on on the field for the Braves, on the injury front, and all of the questions they're currently trying to answer about their starting rotation and even into the lineup at this point. And we'll get into all of that here shortly as Gabe Burns from the AJC joins me and we have our weekly Braves chat. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like all this Braves talk and what you're hearing, be sure to click the subscribe button on those wonderful podcast purveyors and be sure to tell a friend and leave us a rating as well. All of that is appreciated and goes a long way to helping out the show. And of course, on social media, you can find the show on Twitter at from the diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley and on Instagram, the show is at from the diamond and I am at Grant McCauley over there as well. You can also find every episode of the show and so much more over at from the all right, so let's discuss everything that's been going on with the Atlanta Braves. And goodness knows it was a lot over the first three weeks of the season. As always, I'm joined by Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can follow his work on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. Uh, Gabe, this has been quite the three-week stretch to open the year. I don't really know that there's a good place to start, but I think that we're going to find a way to get through a lot of things that the Braves are certainly looking long and hard at on their first off day of the year. How about that? Yeah, sure thing, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Uh, lots of storylines across the first 20 games. It certainly uh, hasn't really disappointed from that aspect, but uh, lots to cover. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of it. And when I said, you know, where do we start out, I'm only half joking because I think we both know where we're going to have to start, and that is the Atlanta Braves starting rotation because that in the first three weeks I think is the biggest story at this point and it's continued to be a roller coaster ride. No Mike Soroka, no Cole Hamels, no Felix Hernandez, no Mike Fultonevich, and now there's no Sean Newcomb either. That has put the club in what I would say is a precarious place. Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright have shown some flashes in rotation, but the Braves, gave they need more, and they're going to have to get those innings from somewhere in this rotation. The question is, who exactly is going to step in to provide those innings? Well, we're not breaking news here when we say the pitching has to be better. To this point, Obviously, the bullpen's been good, but you can't expect your bullpen to carry this type of workload uh, for the next 40 games here. So if that means Kyle Wright, you know, kind of finding his groove and pitching deeper in games, Tukey, it seems like you're just flipping a coin. Mm -hmm. They're going to need him to consistently go deeper, and maybe they wind up doing a bullpen game every fifth day. I mean, right now we've already seen it a couple times. 
maybe a guy like Tucker Davidson comes up and he provides some form of consistency, but you can't bank on that. And in the trade market, who knows? This is not a normal year, and it's not going to be easy to make trades, and we don't know how many teams are even inclined to sell starters. So there's not an easy solution to this, and it seems like every night that passes, even when they win, among the top two stories is whatever happened with a starter that night because their offense so far, which has been really feast or famine, it's done enough to overcome. Uh, It and the bullpen have done enough to have this team 11-9. and And like Snit said last night, he said, if it wasn't for our bullpen, we'd be 9-11. and So there's a lot to be optimistic about, especially when you consider this team certainly, you know, and we talked about this the last time I was on, this team still has not rounded into form yet. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's certainly reason to be optimistic there. But as far as the rotation goes, there's not an easy solution to this. Uh, There's not an obvious solution. And it just seems like they're just trying to get by day to day. And the only real known is that Max Fried has certainly taken another step and looks like the frontline starter that they really need right now. Yeah, no doubt about that. They need Max Fried, but they're going to need some support for him because of right now, I mean, this is a last man standing kind of situation when it comes to what the Braves thought they had way back in spring training, which was certainly enough starting pitchers, if not more than enough starting pitchers. And that has changed over the course of, of course, spring training, the layoff we had, summer camp, that changed some items. And then into the regular season, things have changed once again. You mentioned, and I think that the Braves could handle using an opener and having a bullpen day, say, once a week or once every turn through the rotation for a while, but I think you hit the nail on the head. They can't sustain that multiple times during a week. Uh, Where are you at with Tucker Davidson and Ian Anderson, for that matter, or anybody who's in the alternate training site that the Braves have of their other top arms? I know they'd be thrown right into the fire here, but barring a trade, I, I think they may be the best answers Atlanta can find right now. Well, that's the unfortunate part of it is back in February before the pandemic and before everything changed, we were saying, you know, Tucker Davidson and Ian Anderson would probably pitch this year, but they certainly wouldn't be relied upon. Yeah. Uh, it was hard to fathom any situation that that would happen. And now here we are months later, uh, the whole world is different and things are really different for the Braves roster. So uh, I think Tucker Davidson would be the first guy up uh, simply because he's on the 40-man roster. I, I would assume he would get first crack at this. And I'm to the point that I think that's probably what they need to do. And if Tucker comes up and struggles, uh, I mean, at least you tried. And at least, you know, he made his major league debut and he can start getting experience. But this is not where this team needs to be. They don't need to be banking on guys growing with every start right now when they have the aspirations that they do. It's really an unfortunate position for them to be in. And for all the criticism that fans are giving them, I mean, to be fair, people were debating on the rotation back before spring training. Okay, You know, Bolte was an unknown. Newcomb was an unknown. I mean, it's not like – and quite frankly, we didn't know Max Fried was going to be this good. So even then, like, he looks like he's up even another level than he Mm -hmm. was last year. So there there have been a lot of changes. And in their defense – you know, how are they supposed to know that Hamels still hasn't even appeared in an exhibition game to this point over spring training or camp? Not that they were really banking on Felix, but certainly I think he was going to make the roster and start the season there. While Kyle Wright and some of these other guys were pitching in AAA, they didn't know Felix was going to decide against playing. I mean, days before that, he was tweeting about how excited he was, right. and how important safety was going to be, and there was zero indication that he was going to decide against playing. 
Uh, Mike Soroka, obviously you don't know if someone's going to tear their Achilles. Yeah. And that's why you do have pitching depth. And then Fulte and Newcomb, I mean, for them to flame out as quickly as they did, uh, it really is just so much has gone wrong. And that saying that everyone loves to keep referencing, you can never have too much pitching. Uh, this is the perfect example of it because we thought this team had ample pitching depth and we have seen it just completely deteriorate over really a month's time. And for long-term Braves fans, this may be very foreign territory to be in or, or circumstances, if you want to call it that, because for so long, the Braves were a team that was built on starting pitching and they had three Hall of Famers who were anchoring that for the better part of a decade or more. Those times, obviously, long since gone, all three of those men, you know, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, they've all got plaques in Cooperstown, and that's great. But when the Braves went through their rebuild, they wanted to return their focus to building on pitching, and they have hit on some of these guys. Mike Soroka is a success story. Max Fried is a success story. Some of the chapters are yet to be written for some of these other arms, in particular Tucker Davidson and Ian Anderson, we have not seen at the big league level yet. I think that the jury is certainly out on Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint, probably throw Bryce Wilson in there as well. But if you start to look at how many innings have these guys thrown, we're not talking about a lot of major league experience, and it is going to be a harder adjustment for some of these guys. And you brought up something really interesting, which was, you know, how much of that take their lumps or get that experience every fifth day can this team really afford if they have eyes on trying to get back to the postseason and make a run this year. But everything seems to have turned into a, I would use the term perfect storm, but there's been nothing perfect about it for the Braves. And the low point of all of it, of course, was Mike Soroka tearing his Achilles. He's going to be out for quite some time. We don't know if that means six months, nine months, a year, whatever it may be, recovery time for a guy like that. I wouldn't bet against him being at the forefront of that, but there was a series of unfortunate events. Let's call it that, that the Braves have dealt with starting way back in spring training when Hamels went down and then extending into demotions for a couple of guys, an injury to your main starting pitcher. The Braves just can't seem to catch a break when it comes to trying to field a rotation of five guys they can count on for any amount of time. No, they can't catch a break. And when we talk about the Tukies and the Wrights, this isn't criticism of them. Sure. This is more about the team doesn't want to be in this position, and they shouldn't be in this position. Uh, There's – there were essentially no scenarios going back into February that Tukey was going to be relied upon every fifth day. That was just not going to happen. And Kyle, I think, eventually was going to work his way into the rotation, but he certainly wasn't going to be counted on like he is right now. This is not a criticism of those guys. Players develop at their own pace. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, even the guys in Cooperstown you just mentioned. These things don't happen overnight. And Kyle Wright very well could struggle the rest of this year and come into next year and wind up with a year like Freed just had. Sure. And Freed is a perfect example of that, by the way, of a guy who took a couple of years to really hit his stride. So by no means is this a criticism of those guys. It's just a matter of this team, given where they are at and given what they are aspiring to do, this is simply not good enough. And I think that that's really what you're up against now is we're no longer at the place where – as the Braves were rebuilding and trying to find out what they had gotten, what they had accrued, and what those guys might come to in the big leagues, I think success came a lot quicker than the Braves were expecting to when they won the division in 2018 and then took another huge step forward in 2019. Yeah, exactly. It happened quickly, and Mike Soroka, I mean, he makes those five starts. He gets hurt, he's out, and then he comes back, and you look at last year, and it came together really quick. That's not the case for most people. I mean, Walker Bueller, there's some of these guys who just – it clicks quickly, and then most of them undergo a process like Freed did. 
So just to stress, this is not, you know, whatever you think of Tukey and Wright, Davidson, Anderson, whatever you think of these guys long term, this is more about the right now and that the Braves are really in a bad position to be in because, yeah, I mean, again, this team is talking about, and when Mike Soroka got hurt, I, obviously, I mean, what did people think they were going to say? But they're saying, no, no, absolutely. We still think we can win the whole thing. Sure. And there is a lot of talent. You don't really throw in the towel when one guy gets hurt like this. This is a very talented team, and when healthy, it's a very talented lineup. So does missing Soroka significantly lessen the odds of them winning the pennant? Yes, there's no question. And I can't imagine very few people would bet on that. But, I mean, that was up in the air even with them. The point is, is that this team is trying to take another step forward and it's win a postseason series or two. You know, just continue to progress, continue to get these guys experience. They can round into form, and we're looking at we don't know how long windows really last, but right. you look at the ages of a lot of these guys. You know, certainly five plus years of legitimate contention. I know this year's wacky anyway, but right now, I mean, you look at this and this rotation. You know, maybe these guys come together next year. Maybe they come together after this podcast. Maybe, right. I mean, maybe things really click for Wright on Friday night in Miami. Maybe he goes out, throws six shutout, and, you know, this is a little bit of a different conversation. But it's certainly not ideal. The Braves were hoping that they could still slow play at developing these pitchers. And Ian Anderson, Tucker Davidson, these guys should not be in positions to where they should be relied upon. And I don't think the Braves are putting that pressure on them, but – it is getting closer and closer to a point that I think you have to at least see what you have and see if maybe one of those guys can click and give you some semblance of consistency here over these next 40 games. Mm -hmm. And keeping in mind, one other place where consistency is not in place is there is no minor league season. So while Tucker Davidson and Ian Anderson both reached AAA last year, they have not been able to go out there and pitch every fifth day and sharpen their skill set against AAA lineups or you know, the next level of their evolution, they haven't really been able to go through that process because there's no minor league baseball and they're having to do it all in sim games and scrimmages and the like. So that's a little bit of a hurdle, I think, in deciding, okay, well, we know that this guy is ready. It's always a calculated risk, but without that and not having that to at least look at some numbers and look at things and say, okay, what is this guy doing against opposition? Not the guys you're sharing the locker room with. What is he doing against other teams, other hitters, to get them out, where is he taking the steps forward? Where do we need to polish up or work on You know, maybe a third pitch, a fourth pitch, whatever it may be? That consistency is not there for the development this year, which makes it an even more unique season. And, you know, those guys might be great answers right now, but as we talk about the right now options and lay them all out on the table, you and I and Braves fans have seen what Josh Tomlin can do across multiple innings the past couple of seasons. Now we're also watching Josh Tomlin get used in some leverage spots this year out of the Braves' bullpen. Gabe, do you think that the club should maybe explore moving him out of that role and back to starting, at least for a while, since they do have a pretty good bullpen that just got a little bit better with Will Smith back? I mean, I understand the thinking there. I think it should certainly be considered, but at this point, it doesn't sound like that is among the top options. Right. And I, I think that's just a matter of don't mess with what's not broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I can understand that. I think that we might reach a point this season that that happens. It's hard to kind of peg what their priority of options are here. And, you know, obviously the bullpen game is something that they're going to continue to do, you would assume, right now. At and, least once. Yeah, at least one more time. And it looks like they're probably going to do one either Sunday or Monday, and Tukey's going to start the other game. So, Davidson, Anderson, I mean, when these guys come, I, I, again, I think Davidson would be first. 
give him a chance. Uh, Bryce Wilson came up, mm-hmm. but at this point, I, I feel like he's probably better in relief, and obviously his debut didn't go particularly well, but we're not going to judge a guy off of one performance here. But I don't think that that's going to happen anytime in the immediate future, but as far as Tomlin goes, if things continue as they are, and their bullpen can continue producing, and maybe another guy can kind of fill the void of Tomlin, which is tough to do, actually. But sure. if another guy can kind of fill some of that when they, if, and they decide to shift him into the rotation, it certainly can't be ruled out at some point. Yeah, and we've talked about all these internal options for a while now, and you mentioned as we were getting started, you know, what's the trade deadline going to look like? What are the realistic options outside of the organization? And I'm wondering how Alex Anthopoulos is going to approach this trade deadline because if clubs are, number one, still in the playoff hunt, they're not going to want to give away pieces or start moving pieces around and, and shifting their focus to next year just yet, and they may not be in a position to take on money on top of that. So there may be some pretty significant challenges to fixing those problem areas if you're Alex Anthopoulos or any major league GM, and that trade deadline is, what, only just about two and a half weeks away. Yeah, it's close, and what you mentioned earlier plays a factor, too, in that these minor leaguers aren't playing games. Yeah, If you're trading a pretty big piece of your rotation and it's headlined by, and I'm just using this as an example, but a guy like Tucker Davidson, uh, you have not seen him pitch in a game. And that complicates things as well. So there's just so many factors that it's hard for me to fathom how they get a big deal, you know, or at least a significant uh, Mike Minor level type of ad here. It's just there's so many factors working against getting a deal done that it can't be banked on. Now, if there's a general manager who's going to be trying it, certainly Alex would be be among the top Mm -hmm. people. So. I have no doubt that they're going to try really hard to acquire a starter. But even then, even if you acquire one, you need more help. So it's not like this is just get one more guy in here and we'll be in a lot better shape. I mean, they they need some real help here. So, yeah, uh, the trade deadline is kind of sneaking up on us here. But at this point, I mean, we'll see how things transpire over the next couple of weeks. But at this point, it is hard to see how there would be a noticeable trade here. It really is. And you mentioned with Alex Anthopoulos, and, and we've seen he did a nice job of making over the Braves' bullpen last year when it very much needed reinforcements. And as we look at the rotation this year, it's not altogether different, but the circumstances, especially surrounding the trade deadline with an expanded playoff field, with revenues down across the league. I mean, you can do a quick Google search or look through the news, and I know there was an article in the HAC not long ago about Braves' revenue being down. And the interesting thing about that, of course, is that Liberty Media is a – publicly traded company so any of their assets are things that can be discussed more openly than any other club in major league baseball so it's kind of a peek behind the curtain in a lot of ways and we can't necessarily ignore that when it comes to what alex anthopoulos may be able to do in relation to the braves operating expenses for 2020 and the braves are not the only club that's having to ask themselves i'm sure some financial questions so bringing over big contracts trying to bring in an influx of veteran players that might just bump your payroll up for this year there's a lot of uncertainty with what things are going to look like when baseball comes back, hopefully it back to normal in 2021, but we just don't know yet. And I think that's probably baked into this cake as well when you start to really try to parse through what exactly this trade deadline is going to be like. And again, I'm really wondering what it's going to be for some of these general managers that maybe weren't planning on being in a playoff hunt, but their club just happened to play a little bit better. And I'm pointing at the Marlins and the Orioles and the Tigers Maybe all of a sudden they don't want to dump some of their veteran players and 
feel like, hey, maybe we took that step forward and it's time to start adding a little bit more again. I mean, a lot of things could happen. Exactly. If you're Miami, I mean, that's a good example. If you're Miami, there's a lot to benefit from just being one of those eight teams and just getting swept. Exactly. Yeah, that is absolutely, especially in this season where you don't have minor league games, so it's not like you're really watching your prospects develop anyway. If you're Detroit, if you're one of these young teams, I mean, just to get a lot of your guys that experience. You know, we, we talked about that a couple of years ago with the Braves when they played the Dodgers and no one thought they had a chance in the series. And, you know, Snick kept stressing how valuable it was that he, they even got to experience that. And for a lot of these teams, there's real value in that. There's financial value in that, mm-hmm. obviously. It's one thing if you're selling a player who's about to be a free agent. That I could understand, especially if you're Detroit or one of these, you know, Baltimore, one of these teams who is well aware of where they are. Yeah. Uh, certainly I could still see that. But like you said, there's a money complicating factor. There's return. You know, how do you evaluate the return? <laughs> And the money is a big deal. Uh, like you just mentioned about the Braves losing money, and I they have a lot of contracts coming off the books this winter, but we don't know how much money they're going to spend on free agency. Correct. Well, the last couple of years, we've seen them spend huge money on one-year deals, but I, I don't even know if that's going to be on the table this time around. So there's certainly a lot of factors complicating uh, the next couple of weeks with the trade market. Yeah, and you have to wonder when you get into the winter what the free agency, what that's going to look like, what that market, how it's going to develop if a bunch of teams, and by a bunch, I mean if all 30 teams are coming off substantially lower revenues, which is a that's a fact of the matter. That's not really up for debate. They're not making as much money under the current circumstances as they would be in a normal season like 2019 or any other year pretty much in the history of the sport, save a couple world wars, if you will. But it's a totally different game right now, and GMs and clubs in general are going to have to ask some very difficult questions, not only at this trade deadline, but as you mentioned, when it comes to what kind of free agency needs are you looking to fill, how much are you able to spend, and what kind of ramifications might that have on the CBA? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. And, oh, by the way, there's still a pandemic that we're trying to you know, work our way out of as well. So a lot of crazy things happening. And the trade deadline, kind of the first uh, business of baseball domino that's going to fall, of course, before we get into the winter and anything beyond the scope of the sport but let's get back to things going on with the Atlanta Braves especially recently not much of a bigger name for Braves fans than Ronald Acuna Jr. and now he has a troublesome wrist that has given the Braves something else to be concerned about he'll be sitting out the series against the Marlins over the weekend get reevaluated on Monday with the hopes that he'll be able to return sometime next week so Gabe I'll just ask you on a scale of one to ten what is your level of concern for Ronald Acuna Jr.'s wrist injury you know I before last night, before we talked to Snoop, it was actually relatively high. Yeah. Uh, now I'd say it's much lower. It's probably even a five or below right now, simply because they're going to Miami. They're not. They're not making a roster move. They're going shorthanded. Pretty confident he's going to avoid the injured list. And things change. I, I feel like I have to say this every single time that they give an injury update because a lot of times it turns out to be worse than they had said, and then mm. people kind of get mad at us. <laughs> for putting it out there what was said but things do change but right now it looks like that they're pretty optimistic he's going to avoid the IL and you know maybe he's he's back in the lineup uh when they get home so you know he's going to have a, an additional four days off now he's missed the last two games uh rest up and you know get him back and hopefully they're beyond it from there I mean Smith said last night they don't think they're going to have Matt Adams or Ozzie Albies back this week yeah. so 
that's a bit concerning with Ozzy, but at the same time, I mean, they acknowledged that it was probably going to be a while. It was probably going to extend beyond the 10 days. So they just need to get healthy with those guys. I mean, the offense really has still been okay. It's just that they haven't been able to overcome their pitching in these last three games. So the biggest thing for them right now is to just keep treading water until they can really get this lineup back healthy again. Mm -hmm. And you know that Ronald Acuna Jr. loves the opportunity to face the Miami Marlins, so something must really not be feeling great if he's (laughs) not in the lineup against them. But all jokes aside, I think that time is a good thing for him. And if you talk about the two games he missed up in New York, you talk about the day off, which is going on on Thursday, and then a weekend series off in Miami. He's getting a week to rest this thing up, so it's a week off. I just hate it, Gabe, that that's coming right about the time that Ronald Acuna Jr. seemed to get his feet under him and really looked like he was about to make some serious noise at the top of the Braves' order, which was also looking like a pretty good run-scoring machine. This is just another setback when you're already without Ozzy Albies, who is your two-place hitter and has not really looked like himself this year either. So the Braves are not only facing the challenges on the mound and in the starting rotation, they're also facing those challenges with how creative they can be to get that run-scoring machine to get going each and every night and They've, they've done a pretty good job of that. I mean, even up in New York, they did a pretty good job of scoring runs. It was keeping them off the board that ultimately did them in. Uh, you know, you look at, we kind of touched on this at the beginning, but we still haven't really seen this offense click, which yeah. is really weird to say considering how much they have scored in some of these games. Sunday against Philly was really the first time it was like, okay, here is Acuna and Freddie. Mm-hmm. Like, here, here is, you know, what we've kind of grown accustomed to, and those guys just – you know, dominated in that doubleheader. And, of course, yeah, it is unfortunate that it comes now with Acuna because, you know, he did seem like he was really starting to pick it up. He was – certainly he was drawing walks. He looked like he was getting closer to kind of breaking through. And you mentioned it with Ozzy, but, you know, whenever he gets back, if he isn't back this week, you're looking at the season will be half over by the time he gets back, roughly. Because you're talking about we'll be through 30 games, and he still hasn't gotten going yet. And it's just kind of an example of how weird this season is that they'll be halfway through without seeing anywhere close to what they would normally expect from Ozzy. So it is weird to think about, but the bottom line is if you can just get it together, if you're in the playoff picture and you can just get healthy and figure some things out by the time that October rolls around, it it won't really matter. So I think that that's probably the best way for them to look at it. There's still two games over 500 despite – all of this going wrong for them. You can't make excuses for everybody, but there is reason to at least be optimistic that this is not the disaster scenario right now. Yeah, if anything, there is time that remains. But I don't know that that necessarily will bode well if you're without some of your main contributors. Mike Soroka's done for the year. That clearly is a big hole for them. Any extended absence for Ronald Acuna Jr., in addition to Ozzy Albies, who's been out even longer, would be detrimental to the Braves from a run-scoring perspective. So there are some things to be, I I think, concerned about, most certainly. And I'm sure Brian Snitker is, and I'm certain that Alex Anthopoulos is. And those are all questions that they can continue to ask as they move towards that trade deadline to see what, if any, deals will materialize that, yeah, they might bring over an arm or two, and they might bring in some kind of reinforcements when it comes to, offensively speaking, something the Braves might be lacking. Because, Gabe, as as you pointed out, you know, it may not be the, the disaster scenario right now, but... You know, a lot can happen between now and the trade deadline as well. So as we revisit this conversation, it's a fluid situation, and that part of it's not going to change. Another story that's kind of cropped up in the you know wake of Ronald Acuna Jr. now missing some time, which means that he can't be playing center field, which means, of course, by some very simple math at looking at the roster, Ender Inciarte is your everyday center fielder, which 
coming into the year, a reinvigorated Ender who's playing gold glove defense and, you know, hitting enough to stay in the lineup. I thought that would be a, a pretty adequate, you know, alignment in the outfield. And of course, batting ninth with a DH that doesn't hurt anything either, but Ender hasn't gotten it going at the plate. I was pretty concerned with what I was seeing during the Yankee series. Defensively speaking, it looked like he had taken a step back. So you've got Acuna out and you've got Ender and Ciarte not looking great on either side of the ball. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, at least not based on the results thus far this year. It certainly feels like those calls for Christian Pache's name are getting louder and louder as he gets himself ready over in AAA Gwinnett at that alternate site. Uh, what do you think the odds are we'll have a Christian Pache sighting sooner than later? Feels like they're going up by the day. Yeah. It's the same thing with the rotation. We talk about you don't want to have to rely on these guys, but it does reach a point where you're just like, screw it, we need to try something. Mm -hmm. And at this point with Ender, I don't know what's wrong. It it hasn't come together for him, and there's not a lot of time to just – this is not a 162-game season, to state the obvious. There is not a lot – like when I said this is not a disaster scenario, it isn't because the team has been treading water. But as you mentioned, the more time these guys miss, the worse it gets. You get put on the 10-day IL, that's one-sixth of the season. So I think it's very close to time. I, I would even this upcoming homestand like I, now we don't know. Snit said he's healthy. The ankle is OK. Uh, he's been playing every day over in Gwinnett. So as long as things are good there and he has looked OK, I'm not trying to play GM here, but I do think you are getting to the point that it's time to seriously think about it just to make your team better. Yeah. I mean, this is just. At this point, Ender is just not getting the job done. And that, you know, for whatever reason that is, if it's just not coming together for him, you just don't have time to wait around. So I'm talking in a circle, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometime, even within the next week, I think it would be time to see. I'm sure they're already seriously thinking about it, but I think it's about time to probably do it. And there's two sides of the coin as well. With Ender, he's gotten some opportunities, gotten off to slow starts the last couple of years. I hated to see him get hurt in the second half last year. It seemed like he was, offensively speaking, about as good as I'd ever seen him in a Braves uniform. And I know that he worked hard over the offseason and clearly sitting around for an extra 90 to 120 days or whatever it was for the layoff, that's not ideal for anybody. And the circumstances of this season being what they are, you know, like you said, we can sit here and lay out all of the conditions or excuses or whatever people want to call them, but the job is not getting done at this time. And you mentioned they're treading water right now, 11 and 9 are the Braves, as we record this podcast on the off day. But if they start taking on water in other areas, including at the bottom of the lineup, if they're not scoring enough with all the pitching problems and defensively speaking, you're kind of wondering what's going on. Yeah, that to me was the biggest, you know, red flag, if you will, or the, or the biggest concern I had was seeing Ender, a guy that, you know, you're used to seeing him run him down, not really playing to or at the level that I'm accustomed to seeing. And I don't know what's going on, you know, in between the ears there. I don't know what he's carrying around with him based on other things in life. And that's kind of part of the human element that gets lost in a lot of the discussions we have about only looking at numbers, which is perfectly acceptable. That's what baseball does. And uh, the other side of that coin, though, is that even back in spring training and, and going back into 2019, as he started to break out offensively, Christian Pache was already playing his way into the equation, I believe, at some point in 2020 for the club to look at itself and look at him and say, do we think it's time? Is this guy ready? And that answer to that question may come, as you mentioned, sooner than later and perhaps as soon as the upcoming homestand or this weekend. Yeah, and the way that I've really looked at this, too, is it's hard for me to hold a player's performance this year against them with their total body of work, and I know Ender hasn't 
you know, been exceptional in recent years. But just in general, this season is so weird, and especially for pitchers. It's just kind of hard for me to just sit here and really judge a player. The bottom line is you're playing a shortened season. This team is trying to win every single game it can. This team wants to win a pennant. To me, that means the winning move would be to go ahead and bring Pache up and just see. And then maybe he's not ready, and, and then you can just send him back. That's fine. But it's the same thing with the rotation. You just have to exhaust every option at this point. This is not a marathon season. This is not, you know, even these days when you give a guy two days off, you give Acuna two days off a sore wrist, or, you know, now it's five. Uh, I mean, that's a sizable chunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not, I mean, five out of 60. That, that's a, So things have to be managed differently. You have to kind of think differently. And, and that, it's really intriguing in that way, actually. I kind of, sure. it's, it's kind of exciting. Uh, it's something different. So we're certainly getting close to that time, and it would be huge for the Braves, too, if he came up and he showed enough that they were going to go ahead and pencil him into next year's outfield, too, because, you know, we talk about the financial situation and stuff, and teams are going to want to bank on as many of their own kind of cheap players as they can anyway. Mm-hmm. So being able to really know that Pache is there and you're, you're comfortable with that, that, that would also be a big deal going into next season. A couple of the financial aspects that would go with a move like that, of course, is number one, Ender Enciarte is under contract for this year as I'd say about $2 million left on his pro-rated salary. And then next year he's owed, I believe, just shy $9 million, somewhere $8.5, $9 million. And then there's a $1 million buyout for 2022. So if you were to make a move where you ended up having to release him just based on the circumstances, not that they're just going to outright do it without trying to trade him, but just following the logic train here, it could cost them about $12 million to divest themselves of Ender Enciarte's contract if they don't get anything back for him. His trade value, I don't think, could get much lower right now, only if he was hurt and knock on wood, nobody's hoping for that. And then the flip side of it, of course, is that this week, I believe as soon as the off day, which of course is the 13th of August, that the delineator for what service time counts and team control and the things that clubs are always looking at Christian Pache would not cost a full year of control this year. The Braves would be able to retain that extra year, again, under the current CBA. So to move through all of that legalese and whatnot, it will become a little bit easier to bring up Christian Pache if you're worried about service time. On the flip side of that, if you still have to find a place for Ender Enciarte and you're going to need a backup center fielder if Ronald Acuna Jr. is sidelined for any amount of time, it's not just as simple as cutting ties with the guy because you're tired of seeing him you know, ground out to the right side or misplay a ball in the outfield and whatnot. There's a lot of different plates that are spinning. If you're the GM trying to keep, again, as you said, a club that's treading water right now, trying to keep it at least at that space until you can add or make those moves that could ostensibly make the club a little bit better. Yeah, and even with, I mean, with Ender, you know, even if he, he recoups some value, this offseason, if you're looking at moving him, you're again, you're talking about a team taking on money, even if you cover part of it. So, mm-hmm. It's certainly not an easy thing, and uh, Ender has obviously been in trade rumors for a few years now. This is nothing new to really be talking about this, but I imagine he will be here through the rest of this season in whatever capacity he winds up being in, and they'll move forward from there. But right now, if you're if you're just trying to field the best team possible, you know, I just feel like as soon as the service time, and let's call a spade a spade. I mean, that matters to everybody. Absolutely. Everyone's trying to keep that extra year, and that, and especially in a season like this, I mean, you're not wanting to burn a year on that. So, yeah, I, I would think as soon as that happens, it will, it will, 
it'll be close to Pache time. <laughs> yeah, and I believe that that was supposed to happen on Thursday. And if you do the math out for you know what this season was at this point, we're at the one-third mark, so we'll be 54 games in, so you'd be talking about the last week of May. And usually when you start to see those top prospects coming up that have been held back or they're still in AAA waiting to make that jump or what have you, that's usually about the time of the year, about a third of the way through the season, that you start seeing those moves be made by those clubs that were very cognizant, as they should be as a business, of what that service time means. And I've talked to a lot of folks on Twitter about this, and and some of them get upset at the Braves, at Liberty Media, whoever it may be, and that's okay. But this is the collectively bargained agreement that the Players Association and the league came up with in terms of service time. I think it needs to be revised. I think a lot of people share that. I'm sure clubs probably don't. But if you're on the player side of things and looking from their scope of things, I should say, it's something that has held back a lot of players and isn't necessarily in the best interest of the game from a competitive standpoint. I don't know where you weigh in on that, but it just kind of is what it is, I guess is what I'm saying. And you can't begrudge a club for going by the letter of the law when it comes to trying to hold on to their assets, which players and talent and prospects, they're certainly assets for clubs that are trying to build something. No, that's exactly right. And I I think baseball has a lot of system problems. I think that's why we're, you know, that's largely why we're heading towards a lockout. And and that's why it took so, yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's why it took so long to get, uh, you know, to get things moving for this year. There's just a lot of problems. And I think from the players aspect, the service time manipulation, it's certainly a problem. But you can't criticize the team for that. <laughs> I mean, you do you do what – I mean, these guys are used to doing whatever you can to win, and that doesn't mean electronic sign stealing, but that has meant sign stealing <laughs> throughout the years. Apparently so. So, yeah, so, I mean, you can't criticize an organization for that. It's not – well, I get every now and then you see, you know, like San Diego had Tatis start the year there last year. He started opening day. So every now and then you see teams that will decide not to do it. But we saw it with Acuna. Mm-hmm. Chris Bryant, Obviously, of course. Yeah, the Chris Bryant thing got a ton of pub. It's going to happen until it's no longer a fact. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. So it, it, there's no point in being angry about it or criticizing anyone about it. They're just simply doing what's, what is really best for the long-term health of their club. Yeah, and it's a balancing act, and clearly there are certain things that have to be in place for the clubs to be able to run. There are certain things the players are going to want to have that would be in their best interest, and that is going to be what goes on in the collective bargaining negotiations that will be happening over the next year leading up to the deadline for that. So I don't want to dive into all of that on this particular episode of the show, but what it did happen to relate to was if you're worried about Christian Pache's service time, which I'm sure the Braves were monitoring that, I think that they're passing that hurdle now. And the health of Ronald Acuna Jr. to me is the biggest factor. If you miss him for an extended amount of time, I don't see any way around bringing up Christian Pache to play on a semi-regular basis at the very least. Secondarily, and perhaps for others, let's call him 1A and 1B, what's been going on with Ender Enciarte hasn't necessarily been helping the Braves line up. And as of late in the field, it's troubling to watch some of the things that took place up in New York, at least from a guy that sat here and watched Ender Enciarte play for the last, what, three, four years in Atlanta, he's looked a lot better than he has of late. So perhaps he's able to figure out a way to right the ship. He's had some you know hot streaks and comebacks before, but the total package right now just hasn't looked like something that's helping the club win. And that's, I think, one of the challenges of being in a 60-game season is that you don't have time to sit around and wait on somebody to get back to normal, like you said. I mean, you're in a sprint right now. We're a third of the way through the season 
We're going to blink, and in a couple of weeks, it'll be the trade deadline, and we'll be talking about being two-thirds of the way through the season. So it's happening pretty quickly, and there's a lot happening for the Atlanta Braves right now, that is for sure. So, uh, Gabe, I appreciate, as always, all your time and covering all these bases as it comes to what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves, who are you know, still trying to navigate some troubled waters right now in a number of different capacities. Yeah, sure thing, Grant. Thanks for having me, as always. And It's never, never a dull podcast. There's always plenty to talk about with this team. No, for sure there is, and I look forward to doing it again very soon. Thanks, as always, and uh, we'll reconvene in about a week or so. Sounds good. A very busy three weeks for the Atlanta Braves to open up the 2020 season. Appreciate Gabe Burns jumping on to talk about all of the latest goings on with the team. Make sure you're following his work over at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and on Twitter at AJC is where you can find him. Of course, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Be sure to leave ratings and reviews, share the podcast with a friend, and you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. That'll wrap us up for this week. We will continue to keep our eye on what's happening for the Braves as they try to make their way through the month of August and get ever closer to the trade deadline. So we'll be back next week to talk about everything going on with the Atlanta Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball right here on From the Diamond. So until then, for Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We'll catch you next time. So long, everyone.